I'm in Vegas all last week. I got this great suite at Bounds. Big jacuzzi. Big shower with the rainfall shower head and a glass door on each side. But, but, with the jacuzzi, there were mirrors on three sides out of four. With the shower, there's mirrors on three sides out of four. That's okay if you're Giselle or Tom Brady. But I'm like Dan Connor without Roseanne. I want what I look like naked to be a state secret. So hey, Sweet and Bally's. You get an A plus vis-a-vis being the lap of luxury. But all those mirrors is just TMI. Too much information. So you just made the list. The list brought to you by Matt Mertz Plumbing. Count on a name you can trust. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Chris Jericho, don't forget, in town tomorrow with his rock group Fozzie. They're performing at Jericho's in Warrendale. Uh, that song they did a, a year or so ago, Judas. Just unbelievable. So should be sure to check out Y2J and his band Fozzie. Rich Ward on guitar, the Duke of Metal. Tomorrow night at Jurgles in Warrendale. Uh, by the way, speaking of Roseanne, has anyone seen the reboot of Roseanne? Episode one of the reboot, I think, was last Tuesday. It's getting bad reviews because Roseanne's character is now a Trump supporter, which means the show isn't allowed to be any good. 412-333-9939. If you're on your way home from the Pirate Game, and you're basking in the 5-4 win, basking in starting out 4-0. And you have plenty of room to bask because there are a lot of empty seats. 30,000 tickets sold, and I'm probably uh, ill-advised to project how many people were actually there based on what I saw on TV. But it looked like no more than 20,000 people actually in the ballpark. The weather's to be blamed for that. The 8,000 tickets still remaining is to be blamed, I think, on distrust of management. But uh, they got another win. They are now 4-0, so there's a lot to be said for that. A hot start, given the bad feeling and distrust of Pirates management, is absolutely imperative. Oh, the Roseanne ratings, I got those. It was last Tuesday. 25 million viewers... And a massive 7.3 rating among adults 18 to 49. Now, Roseanne's family, you know, Dan Connor, John Goodman, they're, you know, middle class, maybe lower middle class. And she projects the Connor family as Trump supporters in 2018. And because of that, I think Roseanne's a Trump supporter in real life as well. There's a great line. I saw a clip. There's a great line where she says to her uh, sister, Lori Metcalf, they're about to indulge in a prayer before mealtime, and she goes to Lori Metcalf, who is a liberal, her character, would you like to take a knee? Which I thought was pretty funny. But, uh, but all the reviews of Roseanne have been terrible because since she is portraying a Trump supporter, it's not allowed to be good. And honestly... 
As you know, I have no dog in that hunt. I hated both candidates, and I voted for Gary Johnson. But if you are in any way connected to Trump in a positive manner in show business, you are not allowed to be good. You're not. Mark Hamill talking about his hate for Trump, Jason Alexander. Like, I really need to know what Luke Skywalker and George Costanza think. Now, on the other hand, you hear Ted Nugent talk. What he said about those kids, the shooting victims, was despicable. Absolutely despicable. And I have tickets for Ted Nugent at uh, the Palace in a couple months. I may not go because of that. That's how deeply offended I was by what Ted Nugent said. How can we as a nation talk badly about kids who survived a shooting speaking out and trying to do something, even if you don't agree with what they're trying to do. How can you be against that? I don't know. It's an effed up time we're living in. And no, I don't care to talk about it during this show. And I've probably done so too much right now. But but one thing that every celebrity should learn about all this stuff is we don't care what you think. Right, left, shut up. We don't care what you think. And there's one side doesn't understand that, and that's why... Trump will probably get four more years. Uh, Here's a story that that I'm curious to see how it plays out. We've talked about it frequently. At one time, the debate was who's going to get MVP, Kucherov or Malkin. Okay, Malkin's not getting it. He slumped a little bit at the season's end. And I had somebody last night who knows Geno pretty well say that once Geno realized he wasn't going to win the scoring title, his effort decreased. Not that it won't pick back up once the playoffs start. So uh, right now McDavid's the scoring lead. He's going to win the scoring title. People are talking about him as MVP, even though his team underachieved more than any team in the league underachieved this year. They were a Western Conference, I would say co-favorite to get to the Stanley Cup final. Now they're not even making the playoffs. How can you talk about McDavid as MVP? Larry Brooks, the New York Post, who's the horse's ass, but... But he's very pragmatic. Larry tweeted, I confess that I have no idea what the motivation is to alter slash ignore the traditionally understood meaning of the Hart Trophy so that Connor McDavid can win it. Right on the money. Although, full disclosure, Mario won it at least once when the Penguins didn't make the playoffs. That said, they went from like last place to pretty close. McKinnon would be a good pick, but what if the Avalanche don't make it? I think if the Avalanche make it, McKinnon should be MVP. Otherwise, I'd probably go back to Kucherov, even though he's not finished up horribly well. Let's go to Patience in Green Tree. Patience, you're on a Mark Madden show. Uh, hey, Mark. Uh, this is why I was calling about, but I think a strong candidate for MVP uh, should be Taylor Hall for the Devils. He just continues to produce. Yeah, he's, he's, tw- not- he's 12th in the league in scoring or whatever it is. I, I I cannot give uh, the MVP to a guy who's 12th in the league in scoring, although it does look now like his team's going to make the playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah, they're pretty much, uh, they're magic number six, I think. Taylor Hall, is, he's now, now, actually, four. to be fair, he's now 7th in the league in scoring. You know who else is a candidate? I hate to say it, Claude Giroux. Is that, oh, Giroux is this year? I didn't even know that. He has 95 points. He's 4th in the league in scoring, and they're going to make the playoffs. Oh, wow. Wow, that's impressive. 
Hey, I just called a comment on uh, Martin. Did you see that blatant cross-check in the back of the face after someone uh, in the game yesterday for Philly where he uh, got upset someone... Uh, Actually, it was to the front the of the face, wasn't it? I mean, the front, yeah, yeah, yeah. After a guy hit him against the boards, he didn't, he doesn't like being hit. He can't take punishment. He turns around and just cross-checks the guy blatantly in the face and just gets uh, a $5,000 fine, no suspension. Well, did you really expect him to get suspended going into the playoffs? Yeah, I guess you're right. I yeah, mean, don't right. get me wrong. He should be. but and, and that emboldens a guy like Marshawn, who's a pretty smart cookie, even if he is a little rat. And he knows he's not going right. to get suspended. So tee, tee off. Yeah, he continues to get away with it. He, he injured a jersey player earlier in the year for a couple games, and he constantly cheap shots the Penguins, and he just, he just gets away with it. It's ridiculous. Thank you for the call. Yeah, you know what? If Colorado makes the playoffs, I would give the MVP to McKinnon. If Colorado doesn't, I would go back to plan A with Kucherov. 97 points. If they give it to McDavid, well, you know what? The award hasn't meant anything since Gretzky got it in 1989, despite having 31 less points than Lemieux, and they were all goals. The award lost its credibility then, and to my mind, discussions like this, with McDavid even being mentioned as a possibility, uh, confirm its lack of cred. Four one two three 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 ninety nine thirty nine. Oh, Steve Simmons, our buddy from Canada. He says he can make a case for any of the following: Malkin, Kucherov, Hall, Kopitar, Giroux, McKinnon, McDavid, Ovechkin, and Marchand. I can't make a case for a guy that's not in the playoffs. I can't make of all the players mentioned there. To me, McDavid is the least valuable, the least, because his team was supposed to go places. And horribly, horribly underachieved. And you know what a typical game for McDavid was? When they were had 3-0 on Columbus and allowed seven unanswered goals. He had points on the first three goals. When Edmonton got ahead 3-0, he was minus for the next three goals, all scored by Columbus. That not only isn't most valuable, it's not even valuable. I'm Mark Madden. we got Staggy. Ah, Staggy. At the bottom of the hour, 105.9. Hey, buddy. Hey, Mr. Man, how you doing? What, what if they wore assless chaps? Would that help at all? If they what? The X at 105.9. Pirate fans, how do you feel about being 4-0? Does it give you legitimate optimism, or do you take it for what it's worth, which ain't much because they play nothing but crap teams and it's only four games? But hey, beat them bucks. You're taking Levy on Bell saying it's hard to be a hero when the time makes you a villain. He's blaming you because his greed and ego demand so much money, it's become a PR problem. That's your fault, not his. That's what Lev Bell is saying. Penguins lost to Washington last night. Now they need to beat Columbus Thursday at Columbus, or at best they finish third and have home ice disadvantage playing Columbus, Columbus would have home ice. Or they drop all the way to fourth, maybe fifth, and they play probably Washington, but maybe Tampa or Boston the first round, which I don't think anybody wants. Let alone Tampa and Boston and Washington. They don't want to play the Penguins. Do you really believe Ian Cole's the reason Columbus is real good now and the Penguins are kind of up and down? Because I don't, but a lot of you do, because you don't know what you're talking about. It makes me gag, but 
That's the difference between being a paid professional who knows what he's watching and some dork who wears a number 28 Cole jersey. Two games still, even though he's been traded. Your thoughts on that? 412-333-9939. Sister Jean, you're out. I'd like to have been there. I'd have gone, hey, Sister Jean, nice to meet you. You're out. You're eliminated. You're out. Just way too much, Sister Jean. Way too friggin' much. Uh, another hockey note. The Sedin twins retired today. Henrik and Daniel. They retired at the same time. Did they dress identically as adults? I, I don't know that they did, but I don't know that they didn't. These Sedin twins, okay, it was weird that they always had to play on the same team and finagled their way to the same team when they were drafted. It's weird that they always played on the same line. Once in a blue moon, they wouldn't, and they would both have the boo-boo face and pretty much appear to just go through the motions. Kind of creepy. And they never won. But hey, congratulations anyway. Two really great players. Just the twin thing, it was either cute or weird, depending on your perspective. Also, I wrote a column in the Trib yesterday. I guess I can bring up a little baseball now, although I plan to go in-depth about this tomorrow. People always debate who is the greatest pirate of all time. John Steigerwald says that Clemente would hit 900 home runs playing in any park but Forbes Field. Basically, Stagg's argument, Clemente's the best because I saw him and I know. I say so. Which, sorry, Stag, but that's not a real compelling argument. Hannes Wagner's stats are unbelievable. He's generally regarded as the greatest shortstop of all time and uh, maybe the greatest player of all time. But everybody who saw him is dead, and there's no video. And that holds back the argument. Maybe it shouldn't, but it certainly does. Barry Bonds won two MVPs in seven years as a Pirate. He uh, went on to do bigger, a lot bigger, and we know how. Uh, In San Francisco, a lot bigger and better. But, you know, based on his time as a pirate, you can make the argument he was the best pirate ever. Those two MVPs, that's the most anybody ever won as a pirate. Koch won one, Stargell won one, Clemente won one, Dick Grote won one, and I think that's it. Although it's it's worth noting, there was no MVP award when Hannes Wagner played. Or Pie Trainer, who can? American. Or the Wayner Brothers, Big Poison, Little Poison, John Wayner too. And, uh, but, you know who has the numbers? Ralph Kiner, the home run hitter in the 40s and 50s. Okay, this guy was on terrible teams, but we're not talking most valuable. He's not competing with Connor McDavid here. We're talking best pirate ever. What is the most romanticized category of baseball statistics? Home runs. Ralph Kiner played seven years with the Pirates. He led the National League in home runs every single year. Ralph Kiner has a better on-base percentage during his Pirates tenure than Bonds, Clemente, or Wagner. He has a better slugging percentage during his Pirates tenure 
than Bonds, Clemente, or Wagner. He has a better OPS during his Pirates tenure than Bonds, Clemente, or Wagner. So, given everything I've just said, tell me how he's not the best Pirate ever. Give me a logical argument how he's not the best Pirate ever. There's only one guy you can make a case for, and it's Wagner. The only guy. Bonds and Clemente, honestly, their accomplishments as Pirates don't come close. And if you want to say, well, Clemente won the two World Series, duly noted. That's not part of this argument. Tell me how Ralph Kiner is not the best Pirate of all time. Up next, though, we're going to talk hockey. Here's another uh, tweet from Steve Simmons. Not only does Taylor Hall lead New Jersey in scoring, he needs all scores on his team by 38 points. Connor McDavid leads his team by 35. You see, I don't like that logic. You're penalizing the guy for being on a good team. You know what? Memo to all hockey players out there. Judge yourselves by championships and points. Nobody votes on those. Talk to Staggy next. Ah, Staggy, 105.9. This is Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 DX. Joining me now. Long-time member of the Penguins Radio Network, the host of Penns Live Weekly, Saturday mornings here on the X, one of the most important media personalities in Pittsburgh hockey history, he is Paul Steigerwald. A stag with the playoffs a week away. Are the Penguins where they want to be? If not, how close? Uh, I'm not sure I would say yes to that. I would say they're getting closer because I've seen signs of it, but I think... uh, because of their uneven play here over the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I can't say that they're already all, all the way there because, um, you know, I don't think that they've had that urgency in their game, and nor they have they may, maybe necessarily needed to have it. Uh, so as a result, I'm still wondering exactly what this particular group is capable of. What is the strongest part of the Penguins' game right now? What do you look at that you really like? I think their power play is phenomenal. Uh, I think that they uh, have tremendous balance up front still. And I think they have great firepower, uh, probably better than anybody in the league. Um, and I, I like their experience. So I think those things are what make them uh, very strong. What is the weakest part of the Penguins game right now? I think it's their structure. Uh, their tendency to give up uh, lots of odd man breaks and uh, a general tendency to uh, get get away from a, a play in a better, uh, um, smart, smarter game, you know, where you, where you manage the pocket away you have to to be successful. Would you put Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel on three different lines for the playoffs, or would you put Geno and Phil together as now with Broussard Hurt? I'd have three uh, three lines. Uh, I would keep them apart, and the reason because I think Gino is a better player without Kessel. I think he defers too much to him when he, when those two play together. They have flashes of, of brilliance together. How could they not? I mean, it's almost like by accident they would be good together for some periods of time. But I think generally it's better for the Penguins to come at teams in waves the way they did the two cup years and. Uh, because I, you know, it really does put pressure on the opposition's defense as well as their, you know, forwards, but more the defense because, uh, sometimes you catch the other team's third pair on the ice when you've got a guy like Phil Kessel out there 
and uh, it can really be a, a mismatch. So I like I like that approach. I think it, I think it puts a lot more pressure on the opposition from a matchup standpoint. Let me play devil's advocate, uh, Stag. I agree with what you said about Geno. I'm not sure Phil and Broussard have been a good match so far. I'm not sure Phil has enough help. Furthermore, I think when the three stars are on separate lines, you have consistency throughout the lineup, but I'm not sure any star has the help necessary to really take over a game on not a nightly basis, but but often enough. Well, that's a good point. I, I think if Broussard and Kessel haven't shown um, the potent chemistry that you are expecting, it may just because they haven't played together enough. But it's not something you want to be experimenting with in the playoffs. On the other hand, Derek Broussard's been a good playoff player. Kessel's been a great playoff player. And I think in, when they get into the playoffs, my guess is they would probably be pretty dangerous together. And so I, I'm more inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and say I think those two will eventually click and uh, that it would be uh, really good to have those stars on each each star on their own line. I also think because Gino, Haglin, and Hornquist played so well together, that's pretty good stuff. I mean, you said about the, you didn't think Gino had enough help. I thought he and Hornquist clicked and, and Haglin, the three of them, clicked extremely well. And so then it comes down to Sidney Crosby and his line mates, and seems like Sid has brought his game up to another level here in the last two weeks, and you know what he's capable of in the playoffs. And Gensel was phenomenal in the playoffs last year. So I have reason to believe that those guys will bring their game to another level, and they'll all be very, very dangerous, all three lines. Who should the Penguins most like to play in the first round, and who should they least like to play? Oh, boy. That's a good one. Um I think, I think they would have success with Washington. Uh, I do think that what happened last night was interesting with Philip Grubauer playing because I think one of the reasons I felt like the Penguins had an edge with Washington was their psychological advantage over Braden Holtby. So I, I do think that Grubauer throws another thing to, to uh, talk about into the mix here. And I thought his performance last night was very encouraging from a Washington standpoint and would make me a little bit more concerned about playing them. But I would have said Washington, just because of the Penguins' history against them and the, 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 you know, the psychological barrier that the Capitals have going against Pittsburgh. Uh, after that, uh, I would say New Jersey, just because the Devils, again, are another team that seem to have the Penguins' number a bit. Uh, I, I, I know from my perspective, Mark, I hate going to Newark to play hockey or to watch hockey, and I think they hate going there to play it. And I, I just it, there's something about the Devils that, that scare me. Uh, and it's, I think it's, I think it has to do with you know the history of the Devils and the Penguins over the years in the playoffs. They're they're kind of difficult to play against at any time in their history, and there's just something about that team right now that uh, because the Penguins don't really have the competitive advantage of speed against them like they do against other teams, and they're a very very fast team, and they would be playing. Uh, Pardon the pun, but it would be sort of devil-may-care kind of hockey against Pittsburgh, which could be very dangerous. You know what's odd, Stag? I think no matter what happens Thursday, the Penguins won't wind up playing Columbus in the playoffs. I think if they lose, they're going to wind up dropping to fourth place and playing Washington in the first round. I think if they win, Philadelphia's going to leapfrog the Blue Jackets, and Pittsburgh will play host to Philadelphia in the first game of the postseason. And that would be interesting. And I think the Flyers are a dangerous team. I really do. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed at them. They have their, there's something special about that team. They keep, they 
keep winning games when you think they're not going to. And they've been kind of a surprise team this year all year long. Yeah, but Stag, there's no and, loser points in the playoffs. I agree with that, but that goes for the Penguins, too. I mean, the Penguins have really benefited from overtime all year. Special teams really have been a big, big part of why the Penguins are where they are. Not just power play and, you know, but also I consider overtime special teams. Three on three is like a special team situation. And I think those two situations have been really beneficial to the Penguins this year. So they would be even with the Flyers in that regard. We're talking to the great Paul Steigerwald here on the home of the Penguins, 105.9 The X. Stag, how much do the Penguins miss Ian Cole? And where specifically? Because there are a lot of fans, believe it or not, that think that playing Columbus in the playoffs and who wins will determine whether trading Cole was good or bad. Well, I think, um, you know, where they miss him most is uh, on penalty killing. Uh, And I think where they also miss him is that he gave the Penguins a strong three pairs uh, defensively. I mentioned this at the beginning of the interview. And one of the advantages the Penguins had, and I think we talked about this on your show a while back, was that they could take advantage of uh, less than stellar third pairs on the opposition side by using that three-line attack that they have, and they exposed teams that way. And I think the Penguins, uh, the jury is out on Alexiak and Hunwick as a third pair. Now, I'm not saying they can't do the job, but we don't know yet. Uh, we know that Ian Cole could do the job, but... So I think that's probably where they'll miss him is just giving them the depth defensively that uh, they've had the last two years, and in particular the, the kind of game that he played. You know, he played a gritty game, a block shot blocking game. He threw the occasional big hit. Uh, he's hard to play against. He's durable. He's rugged. You know, those are things you, uh, you know, pretty good traits for playoff hockey. And I don't know if the Penguins are as built for that as much this year as they have been the last two. Now speaking of the defense, let's stay with that. Matt Hunwick's been in the lineup uh, for a few games lately. How do you think he's done, and do you expect him to be uh, dressed for the postseason? I think he's done pretty well, and I think uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he is dressed because I think he, he does bring a certain element uh, of defensive posture to the team, and he has that ability to also skate and you know and move the puck and those things. So uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts. I, I I think that uh, this, his play here recently has probably earned him the opportunity to be in the lineup when the playoffs begin. Uh, the question is, of course, once again, you have Alexiak having to move to the right side uh, when he plays with Hunwick, so he doesn't play his natural side. He's good at it. He can, he can play on the right side. But this game is, uh, boy, it's such a big part of hockey is the transition and getting out of your own end in a hurry. So I think that the leash will be short for Matt Hunwick in terms of uh, you know, his being in the lineup because I do think that ultimately that left-right uh, situation is more comfortable, I think, for coaches, for players, and it wouldn't surprise me if ultimately you see Alexiak on the left and Ruedel on the right simply because I think the Penguins are going to have to be as as sharp as they can be at getting the puck from their own end out because uh, it's such a big part of their game. Where's Chris Letang's game at? Uh, depends on what day you ask me, I think. Uh, some nights he's looked really good, and other nights he's still as prone to making mistakes. Uh, the other night in the Montreal game, the very first shift, he had trouble. And, uh, you know, you, you have one bad shift like that early in a game, pucks in your net in the playoffs, and that could, that could turn a series around. So I just think he's inconsistent. So it's difficult for me to put my finger on where he is, other than to say I have faith in him. Again, Benefit of the doubt, I think, is a term that you could use a lot with a lot of 
in reference to a lot of aspects of the Penguins game right now, you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt because of what they've accomplished the last two years and what you know they're capable of or have been capable of. And I think Tang fits into that category. How about Matt Murray? Where's his game at? I think he's been a little uh, off his game in terms of, you know, not allowing soft goals. I think he has a tendency to allow a goal, a game right now that, that you, you would question whether or not he'd like to have it back. But even at his best, he did that. Like, even when the Penguins won the two cups, I thought that every now and then Matt would allow a goal as you go, oh, boy, I think you'd like to have that one back. But then he'd make that unbelievable save, that key save, at a moment when you absolutely had to have it to win a game. So he got the job done. And, and uh, the big thing with Matt is he plays his best when the team's playing a certain way in front of him. And that's going to be the key, I think. The Penguins are going to have to play a tighter brand of defensive hockey you know, Matt Murray will stop that breakaway now and then or that two-on-one that comes out of nowhere, but I don't think you can ask him to stop all of them if there's going to be as many of them as we've seen here during the regular season. Penguins are going to have to be better at preventing those, and I think if they do that, Murray will play extremely well. Well, let's stay with this Penguin style because I think the D joins the rush too much. I think the D pinches too much, which is to say every time. Shouldn't that be more according to score and situation and reward versus risk? Well, I think it should always be uh, according to score and situation. Uh, you always take those things into account uh, no matter what, uh, no matter what your philosophy is. But uh, I, I just think that maybe because of the, the change in what other teams do now in the league, I think they've stolen a lot of what the Penguins were doing in 2016 when they first won the Cup and caught everybody kind of by surprise with Sully's style. I think now the Penguins might be more vulnerable uh, when they pinch than they would have been previously because teams are faster. They know that the Penguins do that, so they may try to actually exploit it a little bit. So I think the Penguins may have to be more respectful of the other team's ability to take advantage of them pinching. And I, and I guess that's the same way of saying, yes, they have to be more cognizant of situational play and, and who they're up against. And, uh, you know, another example, Mark, is uh, this doesn't have as much to do with pinching, but it's another example of, you know, the, the other night Sid made that pass at the blue line that resulted in a breakaway for Paul Byron, I believe it was, from Montreal. He didn't score. Correct. They're going to have to be very careful on the power play, too. They use four forwards, and teams tend to take more risks killing penalties. They like to take carry the puck and, and, and push the offense a bit when they're killing penalties in the playoffs. So the Penguins, I think, you know, they don't want to get burned with that stuff. Those those things are horrible ways to, to lose a game, to lose a series, too. You've got to be more careful on the power play at times. Finally, Stag, uh, Patrick Hornquist got another goal last night. I think that he's one of those rare athletes. It shows what a rare breed he is, really. He signed the contract, got the long term, got the big money, and it motivated him to be better immediately. He didn't bask in that money, coast for even a second. He's better now than he's been all season. Mark, he is an absolutely unbelievable hockey player, and uh, you, you can't even put a value on it. Like I, I would refer to him as the Penguins' most invaluable player. You, you, you can't put a price on it. It's just what he brings. He's made all the difference in the world for this organization. He's symbolically, first guy Jim Rutherford went out to get for the exact reason uh, you know, that we've seen him deliver, and that's, and that's the, his ability to play playoff-style hockey, go to the net, go to the dirty areas to score something they weren't doing before they got him. He's unbelievable. And last night, it was clear to me, you know, Barry Trotz coached Patrick Hornquist for a long time. He's very familiar with him as a player. 
And I got the impression last night that every time he went to the front of the net, they were going to gang up on him. And so I, I think you're going to see that in the playoffs, too. The Penguins play Washington. It may be other teams as well. They, they're, they're so familiar and aware of what he brings that I think they're going to go out of their way to really try to make his life miserable because that's what the Capitals were doing last night. And he still scored that goal in the third period. Stag, great stuff. Thank you for taking the time. We'll see you at the rink Friday. Okay, Mark. Take care, man. That is the great Paul Steigerwald. A key figure in Penguins and Pittsburgh hockey history. Always a pleasure to have him on. Now it's time to ask Mark anything. 412-333-WXDX. Ask Mark anything by dialing 412-333-WXDX. Prince. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Konnichiwa, bitches. Konnichiwa. Hi, Marco. I have some important questions for you. That right there, my friend, that's asking for trouble. The X at 105.9. Boy, you could tell people have bucko fever. I have one call currently for Ask Mark Anything. I think I've taken four callers all day. So if you'd like to Ask Mark Anything, you'll never have a better chance to get through than now. See, I'm depressed now because I thought today was like a really good show with a lot of great talking points. And obviously, I have an overwhelming audience. My ratings in February, as I mentioned twice, three, maybe 10 times, number one among men 25 to 54, which is the money demographic. But today, up against the Pirate Home Opener with people in attendance and people listening to the game or watching on TV, I feel like I did just a terrific A-plus show today and nobody's listening. Maybe it's the beginning of a trend. Maybe this is the start of my career's downhill slide. And if it is, wow, 22 years on top, you can't sneeze at that. But, um, oh, wait, we're getting some calls now. People who never had a chance before to ask Mark anything now, dialing 412-333-WXDX. I'm going to get one more quick plug in for something. Uh, I'll be at the Steelhead, the bar. It has a different name now. But to me, it's the steelhead, the bar at the downtown Marriott for a Penguins viewing party Thursday night for that crucial game against Columbus, so please do join me there. Then on Sunday, I'll be at the Bulldog Pub in Morningside for a WrestleMania viewing party. And also, I need like one more roller hockey team for my tournament, April 27th through the 29th at RMU Island Sports Center. One more to get me to an even number. If I get two more, I'll still need one more. But I really only need one more. So if you'd like to enter a team in my roller hockey tournament, deck hockey, I'm, I could use like an, another team or two, but I'm pretty much full. I got like 30-some-odd teams for that. But I could use one more roller team. So if you're interested, you have a roller hockey team, adult, email me, uh, supergenius at wxdx.com. That's supergenius at wxdx.com. But now it's time to ask Mark anything. 412-333-9939. Let's go to uh, Vince in Wexford. Vince, ask Mark anything. Hey, Mark, I'm going to keep it with the pen question real quick. I know you talked about uh, previously. Your phone stinks by. He was going to ask me about putting Aston Reese on the fourth line and putting Shane on the third. Why are those mutually dependent? One's a center, one's a wing. I would have Aston Reese in my top nine. Then again, I might not dress Sherry for the playoffs. If Sherry doesn't contribute offensively, he does you no good. He hurts you, in fact. 
So I would have asked the Reese in my top nine. And I'm tired of people wanting to elevate Riley Shan. Why not just let him be the best fourth-line center in the playoffs? If you let him be that, that's where he helps the team the most. And, of course, on the PK. Let's go to Starling in the car. Starling, ask Mark anything. Mark, do you have a tailor? And if so, do you care to share who it is? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Uh, Larry Chico. And where's he at? C-I-C-C-O in Butler, PA. His late father, Frank, was my original tailor, but he passed away. Uh, They've made me two suits, and they're both awesome. Do you wear two-piece or three-piece suits? Uh, I I don't wear a vest, if that's what you're asking. Okay. That's a whole lot of man to pack into a vest, you know? Why, are you a big guy? No, no, but uh, if you have a good tailor, they can make miracles happen. This guy, Larry Chicho and his, his, his father, Frank, they're unbelievable. The, the suits they made for me, they're unbelievable. I cannot recommend them highly enough. Although it's a, Here's how much I love their suits. It's a long ride to Butler to get fitted a couple times before the suit's done, but worth every mile and worth every penny. Let's go to Robbie in Wexford. Robbie, ask Mark anything. Hey, Mark, what's up, man? What's up? Hey, uh, question, if you got Le'Veon Bell in a room one-on-one, just you guys, what would you say to him? Why would I be in a room with him? I don't know. Just uh, just that maybe I'm, I'm thinking maybe snap him out of whatever he's in or just... I have no desire to have a conversation with Le'Veon Bell unless he wants to be interviewed on this show. All right. Well, if he was on the show, what would you say to him? Why are you, why are you asking for, the, for money that I, is, is the combination of, of the... Next two highest paid running backs. Why do you think you deserve that much? Do you think that you could get him to see things just in a normal way? Of no, I think like, I could. Ma- I think I could get him to make yeah. an absolute jackass of himself, which is why yeah, he would never come would on the hard. show. Yeah, I agree with that. Thank yeah. you for the call. Let's go to Allen in Green Tree. Allen, ask Mark anything. Hey, Mark. Uh, while you were in Vegas, Tim and Bob were talking about. Porn stars that were in the studio and one that was on your show that had broken down, and I was kind of curious what that story was about. Oh, Shyla Style. She was all screwed up on drugs. She started swearing on the air. <laughs> and she's, well, it's not, uh, it, it has a sad ending. She died not too long. Shay Evans is the, is the Latina porn girl I met in Vegas this past week, and she is just incredible looking in a very lively nature, too. Let's go to uh, Greg in Newtime. Greg, you're on with Mark. Ask Mark anything. Hey, Mark. A good buddy of mine uh, was Justin Strelzik, and I did the residency over at Mercy Hospital. And we had a lot of good times. I wonder if you had any good Justin Strelzik stories. I didn't know Justin at all. I, I, I think I interviewed him once. I didn't know him at all. Everybody who knew him loved him. I could tell you that for sure, but I really don't have any Justin Strelzik stories. Wish I didn't. I wish he had come to a better end. Or not even an end at all just yet. Let's go to Ricardo in the meat room. <laughs> Ricardo, ask Mark anything. Ricardo, I got a, a wrestling question, a WWE question. These uh, superstars, like your Sasha Banks, Braun Strowman, Kurt Angle types, what kind of money do they make? And, like, how long are their contracts? Are they guaranteed? Or are they, like, one, the con- one injury the away from being done? The contracts how- are not guaranteed. The only thing guaranteed about them, there's a downside guarantee you get paid. 
and then you supposedly make more depending on how well the company's doing, what the shows you're at draw in terms of attendance, but that's not released to the wrestlers or the public. So basically, Vince pays you whatever he feels like paying you on top of your downside guarantee. There are guys who make more money than that, like uh, the very top guys, like Lesnar and Cena. But they're all, I, let me tell you something. I'm not going to tell you how much I make, but I bet I made more last year than 80% of the WWE roster. So they're not, I mean, like the superstars, like your Tom Brady contract kind of deal. No. No, the only wrestler who's ever made that kind of money, like Brady makes what, six, seven million a year? No, wait. Some outrageous amount, yeah. Oh, no, wait. Well, that's not that for him, that's for a quarterback. Ben makes like, Brady makes, I know Brady gives him a discount. I think Brady's still around 20 million a year, something like that. And Ben makes around 20 million a year. Uh, There's a WWE wrestler has never made $20 million in one year. Never, ever made $20 million in one year. I'd be surprised if more than a handful have made 10 a year, and that not very often. Austin made 9 or 10 a couple years because he had a really good merchandising deal and designed his own merchandise. But WWE wrestlers, for the most part, are grotesquely and woefully underpaid, but they ain't got no union, and they don't have a spine to form one. Let's go to uh, Nick in the truck. Nick. Mark, you know, you go out to Vegas a lot. You ever go to the hole in the wall near the couple few blocks off? Yeah, Batista's hole in the wall, right by the yeah, Flamingo. Batista's, yeah, yes, yes. Have you ever I, been there? I didn't go there this trip. I went there the last trip. How do you, how do you, what do you think? How do you I like love it? it. It's very old school Italian, but it's good. Have you been there? Yes, I have. And I like the fact that they give you as much wine to drink as, as you'd like. <laughs> well, that bottomless glass of wine is certainly terrific.